Hello and welcome to the Time to Unwind podcast by WatchGecko. My name is Tim and in this episode we dive into the details of a special vintage Amiga that just so happens to be one of the dirty dozen from the 40s. These watches have a fascinating story associated with them, so there's plenty to chat about. We also pick our favourite dirty dozen watch, which prompts Ben to take that question and really make it his own. We also go through some recommendations of things that have been filling our spare time recently. So, sit back and enjoy. Today's chat was was actually inspired by a recent discovery. Um, <clears throat> I was on a call with Anthony in the past few days, and he shared a picture of a vintage Omega um, that, I suppose to start with Anthony, you kind of thought was, was just a, a vintage Omega, and then I kind of recognized it as a Dirty Dozen. Yeah. Um, which is a really interesting set of, of 12 watches that during the, the 40s, and obviously predominantly the Second World War, they were all commissioned uh, across the world, really, by, and I think, I think the, the 12 brands who were asked to create these military watches, all pretty much to the same spec. And there are brands such as JLC, uh, Long Jeans, uh, IWC, and Omega had one as well, which is kind of, which brings in Anthony quite nicely with the watch that uh, we're kind of going to talk about today. So do you want to talk us through your Omega, Anthony? Yeah, well, the this Amiga I've got, one of the Dirty Dozen watches, as you say, is actually probably the watch I've had for the uh, the longest time, or let's say the, the mechanical watch I've had for the, the longest time. It was given to me by my uncle um, when I was about, I think I was about 15. Uh-huh. So um, sadly, that, that makes it getting on for so about 25 years ago which, uh, hang on, is that right? My maths are terrible. Yep, yep, I think that is. <laughs> um, so that makes it for getting on for about 25 years ago. My uncle is um, a great watch collector and he's always just picking up um, things that he sees, buying watches, selling watches, picking uh, watches up. And he gave me this watch, which um, was incredible. You know, I was uh, uh, overwhelmed at the time and, and still am. And... Um, uh, it was actually bought in Italy because my uncle is Italian, which adds yet another twist to the story. But, you know, as you say, it's one of the um, Dirty Dozen watches, which was commissioned by the British Army. How it ended up at a watch dealer in Turin, Italy, we'll have no idea. I think, as Ben said quite recently, if only they could talk, you know, really no yeah. idea how it ended up there. But it's it's definitely a Dirty Dozen watch. Um, it has the uh, WWW engraving on it stands for wrist waterproof watch um, which sort of uh, basically distinguishes all those dirty dozen watches and being an Amiga it was one of of the dirty dozen collection it was the one that was produced probably in most volume Um, they made roughly 25,000 of them Mm -hmm. Um, uh, that and the record were made in that that sort of number 25,000 so the most commonplace one uh, the rarest one, of course, is the Grana, but we'll move on to that. There's less than 5,000 of those around, maybe as few as 1,000. Um, and yeah, so I've got one of those uh, 25,000 Amigas. Uh, it's not in the best condition, but I'd like to think that just makes it more genuine and authentic. What happened, of course, with a lot of these watches is um, after the war, or indeed even during the war, if they were broken, they were sent back to the REME, which is the Royal uh, Electrical and Mechanical Engineers Division of the Army. And they were in charge of essentially repairing anything uh, mechanical that went wrong in the Army, from tanks to wristwatches, really. So whenever one of these watches would come into their possession, 
that was broken, their interest was in just recommissioning it, fitting it, getting it back into service as quick as possible as it is for right. any, anything that comes in their stewardship. So all sorts of um, all sorts of sort of strange hybrids uh, ended up in circulation because often they were sort of replacing parts which uh, weren't even made by the manufacturer, using yeah. maybe even parts that they've made themselves or parts of other watches. Um, I think my watch will, um, I think we'll be able to post a photo on the show notes or something, won't we? So everyone yeah, definitely. Talking about, but I think my watch, the hands seem to be um, original to me, sword hands, they seem to be original. There's a, uh, a lot of sort of a, uh, flaking luminous radium on it which uh, probably means that i'm radioactive too but uh, i think that's pretty pretty popular because my my dad actually had one of the records right and up, up until recently he had it but he he, he sold he passed moved it on basically um and it was a similar situation the hands were really delicate loom and then a, a section had fallen out yeah so that's very much the state of um of mine um the second hand um is i think I'm not original at all. It seems to be a bright white and looking at some photographs, mm. I think that was uh, replaced <clears throat> at some point, um, quite when, um, no idea, but that does look a new part. So I suspect, and this is just my suspicion, that it was um, it was refurbished slightly 25 years ago, shortly before it was sold by the dealer in Italy. However, uh, Ben, uh, what... Yeah, I was just going to say, um, it's good that it wasn't relumed though. Yeah. Because obviously keeping the True. original radium allows it to have that really attractive like brown patina in color. And I'm pretty sure if they had changed it to tritium, it would still be green. Um, yeah, I think but it that does make it more desirable than, you know, well, I like more authentic as well. Exactly. I like, I like the um, originality of it. Um, you know, the fact that, you know, you've got something which I don't think has been greatly interfered with. Um, it's got the original case back as well, which is um, uh, not always the case at all uh, with the WWW and mm. the, um, uh, uh, the logo and the uh, serial number. Have so you checked if the serial number matches the lugs? I haven't, and that's the next thing I'm going to do. Yeah. Unfortunately, as we speak, it's not with me. It's in my mum's house. So otherwise, that would have been obviously the first thing I would have done. But um, <laughs> I, th I think what I've got is is um, is a vaguely original watch. I've, I've put it on a brown leather strap, which actually replaces the strap it came with, which was uh, very worn. But I doubt that was the original strap either. However, being an inveterate hoarder, I have kept uh, kept pretty much everything. So um, so yeah, no, it's a watch that. I've always been delighted to have. I still wear a lot. Um, I can't really. Oh, really? That, that was, I was going to ask you about that. I, I, yeah. They're delicate watches, aren't they? They're delicate watches, but, you know, I guess if it's built to survive a war, it can survive me. So, um, <laughs> so I, I still wear it a fair amount. Um, it's not the most, um, not the most reliable thing when it comes to timekeeping, but, but maybe that's not entirely the point. Um, I just wish I just wish it could talk. I just wish it could tell me where it's been and uh, and what it's done, really. Yeah. Um, it's uh, thirty-five millimeters, which um, was uh, a little bit bigger than contemporary fashion at the time, because of course mm. these watches all come from the sort of like I think early nineteen forties. Um, that's I think when mine comes from. So a little bit bigger at the time, but it was also one of the sort of like smaller of the dirty dozen watches. Uh, some of the case sizes were were a bit bigger than that. So um, so yeah, it's a nice size. I like the size, um, and it's something that I do wear a lot, and it's something that I like to uh, 
to show people really because it's just a little bit of a curiosity it's by no means rare like i said that and um the records in which your dad have are, were the most um widely produced ones but it's just a lovely souvenir of a bygone era um which means a lot to me that's one of the watches that um i'll never move on uh, that'll always stay with me so did it nice. mean something to you when you got it because obviously you mentioned you were 50. Were you into watches then? Did you kind of know how important it potentially was? Yeah, well, it, it meant to me, but I was into watches because, of course, round about that time was when uh, swatches were kicking off. And mm -hmm. um, that was, I also had a collection of those. So that was that my like sort of story. like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So we'll talk about that another time. <laughs> um, but I was into watches and I was into sort of, well, my very first watch, like many of us, I think, was a, a digital watch. And then I had a few swatches. And then my uncle had always had a few watches himself. I think he said to me something like, well, it's about time you got yourself what he called a proper watch. <laughs> so um, so he gave me a proper watch, which was, which was that one, which he was actually buying a different watch at the time. Time. Um, we'll do we'll do another show about his watches because he's got some amazing stuff but he just spotted this and he thought yeah yeah this this will be quite good um, at the time I don't think he knew much of its history at all because I asked him about it and he said well it's a military watch 1940s he thought it was from the Italian military but um, right. it's, not, it's from the British military it's it's one of the yeah dirty dozen watches um, named of course it, it probably got from. into Italy by I mean the, the collecting scene in Italy is huge like, I mean, most vintage watches have gone through Italy, basically. Anything that's notable has, has gone through Italy. So I'm sure that, that must be the way it kind of arrived in, in Italy, really. Over the years, it's just been a part of collections. I guess it has. I guess it has. Um, what was quite interesting is that <clears throat> the um, the army actually, after the war, they actually reclaimed many of these watches and they were sold on to other armies um, and they were sold on in surplus sales as well. So... Uh, Bizarrely, the Dutch army ended up with quite a few. I was doing some okay. research, and uh, a few went to India as well. Mm. Um, so there's a few few around there. But as you say, you know, the watch collecting scene is so big and so transitory. It undoubtedly changed hands a few times um, without, I think, a great deal of modification mm. until it ended up in Italy. Now, I, of course, am sort of living in England, so uh, uh, I sort of repatriated it, I guess. <laughs> so, even though, of course, um, what, what marks out the Dirty Dozen was that they're all Swiss watches. Um, there was obviously a very big watch building scene um, around about the time of the Second World War in England, but the Ministry of Defence wanted all these manufacturing companies to focus completely on building sort of proper equipment for the war effort in terms yeah. of nice equipment and so forth, which is why they put out the, the contracts to the Swiss companies to supply the watches. Yeah, what, what I think what's interesting about the the Dirty Dozen is that it, it, they're quite a romanticised collection of watches, and I think it is to do with obviously the tie to the Second World War. I think I think a lot of it, a lot of to do of stuff to do with the war is quite romanticised. And from what I've heard, a lot of these watches were made during the forties, and and by the time or the early forties, and by the time they actually ended up being distributed and put on soldiers' wrists. It was 1945, and there's there's a high chance that they only really saw a few months of action, certainly during the Second World War, if if or ever really. And then it was like you said, it was after when they kind of were used for other other conflicts and stuff. That's a really good point because when you look at it and you look at the patina on it and the fact that it's sort of chipped and uh, the crystal on mine is sort of like 
a little, I don't know if that was me or if that was there already, but the, the crystal's a little bit, uh, um, there's a little bit crack, a small mm. crack as well. You, you, you imagine it, you imagine that this thing has seen so much action and the stories it could tell, but in reality, that's just the wear and tear of, uh, of all those years of use after yeah. the war. I think, you know, I think we'd all like uh, to imagine our military watchers or our pilots watchers, you know, strapped to the wrist of a Spitfire Ace, having survived all sorts of dogfights. But the reality probably wasn't that. It, you know, it, it probably sort of spent a couple of months on the wrist of a retired general and um, then did sort of several heavy rounds of golf in the 50s and 60s. Yeah, yeah. and that's how it survived, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so it's, it's quite interesting. I, I do wonder, so, um, you know, we we're talking about the numbers. So sort of uh, the Megan record, about 25,000, the Grana... Um, maybe as few as a thousand of those twenty five thousand amigas, and we'll never know, but just if we're guessing, how many do you reckon still survive mm, i I think because they were made towards the end of the war, I think probably quite a few uh, they were they obviously weren't regarded as i mean they were tools that they've always really been tool watches, so they were yeah. there's, there's a lot of tools that have survived that sort of time if a lot um, of them were sold to other armies though then they could have seen other conflicts and still been damaged that way. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure really. I mean, it's still got to be a good, you know, high thousands definitely. Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you search like Dirty Dozen on on Chrono Twenty Four or anything like that, watches still still come yeah. up. You can still get them. Some of the records, I think my the record my dad had wouldn't have been much more than thousand pounds. So you, you, they are still relatively accessible, and obviously condition-wise, you can get some for even cheaper than that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the, the, the I, I come back to it again. But that romance behind those watches is still so strong. And Ben, I wondered if you wanted to tell the story of when we went to the the little local get-together, probably about I don't know, it's probably about two years ago now. And uh, a guy came along with a briefcase, basically full of some interesting watches. Yeah, that was pretty cool, actually. Um, so he had basically collected all all twelve of the dirty dozen. Um, <laughs> I think the rarest being the Grana, isn't it? I think that's the one that took him the longest yeah. to find. Um, but yeah, by by the time that we met him and and that event, he had all twelve in a nice twelve pocket uh, watch case, and all nicely presented. Um, he he also had collected ones that were in pretty good condition as well. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily just a collection of uh, anything we'll do. We'll just find it and put it in. Um, but it was more, yeah, finding finding good examples of each that were in pretty original condition. Um, I think that what was interesting about that experience was it, was, it was it wasn't a red bar event in London. It was the equivalent of that near the office about an hour away or so. And it, we, it was basically just in a pub in the middle of nowhere, no signal. And you walk into a tiny little room in the pub and there's, 12 guys around a table and one happens to have a briefcase and he opens it up and there's just 12, there's just a complete dirty dozen set. And th there really can't be many complete sets together all in the, like you said, in a good condition he had them in. They were all on nice straps. They were, he clearly looked after them. I was reading somewhere actually on that subject because this piqued my curiosity, how many complete sets are left. Mm. And I was reading one article, it estimated only about 20 in the world really okay yeah wow. so i think sort of like yeah uh, it described collecting the dirty dozen as achievable in some ways and it's it's like i guess it's like any sort of like 
um, hobby or anything that requires commitment, apparently it's quite easy to start the collection in that you can, yeah. you can get sort of like half of them quite quickly, easily and cheaply. And then it's that last bit um, mm -hmm. that's difficult. And um, again, in this article I was reading, explained that, you know, there was someone who was basically stuck on 11 for years. Yeah, I think that's and, quite a common, a common yeah. situation. And of course, no prizes for guessing what he was stuck on. <laughs> was it the Grana? It was the Grana. <laughs> I think so. I think the influence of these watches is interesting as well because obviously they they were kind of one of the first like properly military watches that the influence is still felt today. Obviously, pilots' watches did exist before, but they'd kind of evolved. Whereas this hasn't really evolved that much, and especially the military watches that that followed it. There were some from like CWC and Hamilton and stuff from during the seventies that pretty much looked very similar to this. The seconds hand may be central rather than a sub-seconds, but the designs are pretty much the same. Yeah, that's remarkable. I was actually, um, a friend of mine had a Hamilton that he was wearing uh, the other day, and um, that resemblance did strike me. I guess it's a testament to the original design brief for the Dirty Dozen, you know, sort of black dial, railroad track, Arabic numbers, Luminous hands, markers. That's that's the winning formula, isn't it? It's got yeah. to be a watch which Extreme is extreme legibility, nice proportions, simple. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's got to be something that you can sort of, uh, um, you know, see quickly whether it's from the cockpit of a plane or sort of in the middle of a battlefield or sort of you know stuck underneath a pile of rubble. It's got to be something that potentially sort of uh, is 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 a tool, but it's it's got to be utilitarian above else. And I think it's just one mm. of those classic design briefs that got it spot on and as such has never really been improved on since yeah, yeah. and it's interesting because i think the dirty dozen is known for you know being quite famous with that design language and they're among the most expensive even though they're not crazy considering what you get they're among the most expensive of you know military watches of the past but they definitely weren't the first ones to do that design language and they mm. weren't the last but i think part of what makes it so special is the story of all these 12 different brands coming together through this brief and creating their own interpretations of this extremely legible tool watch and you know the the way that they've been kind of almost frankensteined through uh sampling through uh servicing sorry mm. it's just really interesting because i've just sent a link which will show people as well but these atp uh stamped watches Oh, right. and were the ones that I'm pretty sure were used at the start of the war and were the ones that actually saw action during World War II. Because as you said, most of the Dirty Dozen probably didn't see action and was, you know, made too late, <laughs> Yeah, essentially. You know, it, it, they were being delivered as, as the war came to an end. But the ATP watches, which saw the action, potentially would have less because... In the action, I'm not. I'm not 100 sure on that, but they are also able to be picked up cheaper, just because they don't have that. I don't know right. storied connection or. or the, yeah, the I mean, even it's really... not. Doesn't have a nickname, isn't it? Isn't yeah? It's not got to. Yeah, I mean that's part of it, isn't it? You know, it, it's a very identifiable nickname, the Dirty Dozen, and it's. It's just an interesting story, and it's you know, kind of a romantic connection between people and, and watches. Well, it's cool, isn't it? Because you have the dirty dozen film and look who was in it. Charles Bronson, Telly Savalas, these 
greats of sort of like Hollywood at the time. Um, and it's a war film. So it's, yeah. it's a perfect match, you know, and, and, and mm. I think Tim, that's very much part of that romance. And the idea is that the dirty doesn't, they're a bit raffish, they're a bit dastardly, but they get the job done. And mm. as such, it sort of perfectly encapsulates what this watch is all about. Now, there's something else that, um, I was told, and I was just looking now at, at all the Dirty Dozen watches together, and I was told this, and, and I believe it's actually true. Do you know what makes the um, the Amiga unique amongst the others? Is it a stainless steel case? Um, it has got a stainless steel case, but I'm not sure if the others don't. Um, I know quite a few of them are chrome-plated brass or something like that, right. but mm. uh, that might not be the only one, actually. I, I think the Long Jeans also has a stainless case, and potentially some of the others, like the Grana and the Eterna. What I, what I was told, and that seems to be the case looking at it, unless there's something I've missed, is that the Amiga is the only one that, as well as the manufacturer's name on the face, it, main, it contains the manufacturer's logo, the little Amiga symbol. And mm -hmm. if you look at the others, they've got they've just got the manufacturer's name, even the sort of like the Grana, Team, oh, yeah. and they're the only ones who managed to actually put their logo as well as their name on the face. That's <laughs> a good little spot. The difference I like that because I was looking yeah. at a picture of all of them and I was like, what is it? Is it the lugs? Yeah, the yeah. Case? But no, like that. that is. That I must is... say the Amiga has the best design for case. I think it's a nice the, case. The proportions elegant, and the lines are really nice. Yeah, some of the other ones. You can tell with the, the chrome plating is less less attractive um, and quite standard. But I don't know. There's something about the Amiga which gives it quite a lot of character. Yeah, I I thought the same with the IWC. Actually, that's quite a delicate, yeah, yeah. delicate looking watch. And the logo is nice, and that is nice. It's small, but it's nice and framed with a circle around it. Yeah. Apparently, people um, amongst Dirty Dozen collectors, the the Longine is seems to be a, a very popular one aesthetically. Yeah, that one's really people different. always people always point to Longine as being yeah, um, the one that they they like. Although I'd argue that it's um, it's it's a little bit less easy to read than many of the others, but yeah. aesthetically mm. yeah, you can't fault it. It's, it's is it larger that one as well? So I guess it's slightly more modern, and especially with the double yeah. step bezel, mm. it has much more of a you know like a thicker appearance so i guess it would wear more like a modern watch but. yeah definitely i mean another one that i think is is interesting is the jlc and i, yeah, don't, I don't know that. if it's the pictures for the ones that we can see but out of all of them it looks the one that the mostly case wise that, that looks like it's almost like blasted yeah yeah I, i'm not sure if that's because of the if it's currently brass yeah that might be it um but I might be wrong, but yeah, it does look really cool. Yeah, that that was uh, actually neatly going to lead on to uh, a question I was going to ask you all about. Which now, Anthony, it's going to be hard for you because you've already got one. But <laughs> if we if we pretend that you don't have the one you have, yep. there's no emotional connection to the Amiga. Which would you have out of all of them if you could only have one? Oh, that's that's a tricky one, isn't it? Okay, so let's let, let's let's pretend I don't have the Amiga because I do I do like the Amiga, but I'm I'm probably biased. So um, I'm just looking at them all now and, and, and weighing this there, weighing, weighing this. You have put me on a spot. You have put me on a spot at all completely. Um, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with the Longine actually. Mm -hmm. um, there's something about it which is just really really cool. Um, as you say, it's probably sort of double bezel. It looks very different from the others, doesn't it? It's yeah, the one it does. That's the most yeah. distinctive of the line. 
Um, and then, of course, that the hands are the thing, the absolute giveaway. They're the ones that give it away, along with the JLC, of course, that's got similar hands too. Yeah. But I think I'll go with the Longy. Okay. Ben, what about you? I would actually go with the Amiga. Oh. I'd steal Anthony's watch. Please don't. <laughs> but you're, you're more than welcome to borrow it any time you like. <laughs> I really like the case on it. Just looking at them all in comparison, I think it's it's got the most elegant. It looks the most designed. Um but I must say, I don't know if you've looked at the movements yes. side by side, yes. but the, the IWC has really nice Definitely. shaping and decoration on the movement. So that one as well might yeah. take it for me because I'm a nerd and I like movements. Would you put, put a display case back on it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, is that like heresy or something? So your, your pick is... The yeah, Amiga, but with the IWC movement. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll extra Frankenstein it. This, yeah. yeah. IWC has just been tradition. serviced with an Amiga doll. Yeah. To be fair, that, that's, I'm, I'm sure such a watch does exist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, no doubt. There's so There's been so many okay. sort of... Uh, if we're doing that, I'll go with the hands from the Jaeger La I was well. about to say, are you keeping your hands or not? Yeah, nah. Oh, okay. Uh, hmm. Those slots look better on the IWC, though, so <laughs> if they... I don't know. An Amiga Dar reloomed, but still in radium, with right. the IWC loom plots with Jaeger Kutrans and the IWC movement. Okay. Fitted to the Amiga case. Do you want fixed bars as well, or? Yeah, haven't they all got fixed bars? They, they I think they do. Yeah, but yeah, in, we'll keep that. in this weird world that you nah, live in, where nah, you I don't want to mess this with. I don't, I don't want to ruin the watch. We'll keep yeah, I don't want to ruin the watch. Just can keep it looking original. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I didn't really realized that that was the way the conversation was going to go because so i've just done an anthony and i've just gone for non-frankenstein watch mm. i've kept it kept second it sounds pretty choice. cool on that timor actually where's the timor without the counterbalance that looks pretty good oh uh, yeah 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 okay, yeah i'd so probably just ruin it and just <laughs> what about the vertex uh subdial though or the lemania mm. subdial when you got yeah oh yeah See, we're assuming though that the photos we're looking at are as the ones originally. <laughs> yeah, true. or yeah. is the same image. I mean, the the, th the thing is, after what five minutes of just debating whether which one we want, we've picked out quite a few differences in watches that have traditionally just been labelled as the same. They've always been the same watch. Basically. Yeah, exactly. You know, what would be a really good Christmas quiz question. We should put it out there. We should um, issue a photograph of unbranded Dirty Dozen watches. A mm. prize for everyone who can get them. That would actually be cool. Yeah. That would be that would be sort of like pin the tail on the donkey, only with watches. With just watch brand names and hands. Certificate. Yeah. Just noticing in the image that I'm looking at, the Grana is the only one with white hands. So it might be that you've ended up with the rarest seconds hand on your watch. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That is. I mean, the, um, you've. Uh, I don't know if I can put a photograph on here. I can. I'll put that while we're talking on there, and you'll see what I mean. The white hands look pretty cool on that yeah. one, actually. I'm I'm looking at an article from the Collected Man, which I'm. Are we all? I mean, we. So some of the. I'm, pictures, I'm also yes. looking at this one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah some yeah, of the pictures too. from their article we have in one of our articles as well, uh, as yeah. well as some of the pictures of the watches we saw on our website, which we can link. Um, but yeah, they they've got some great great pictures of them all together, and you can really see the hands well and the movements and yeah. stuff. That movement comparison between the IWC and the Grana is pretty cool. Yeah. And the, um, oh yeah, I did see, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, 
I think for my, I mean, I'm going to be repeating what people have said, really. I, I like the IWC. I think the case on that is nice and, and thin and the profile looks quite nice. Uh, the Grana, I think because it's the rarest, that would attract me. Uh, and it was the one when we saw it in person that I was naturally like gravitating towards because I was like, oh, this one's just rarer, so it's cooler. <laughs> um, but I think I'm going to agree with Anthony and go for the long jeans. Uh, I, I, I like the hands. I think the case is nice. It's, it's, it looks to be slightly bigger as well. Yeah. And, and vintage long jeans as well. I, I, I like the brand. I mean, you could take that watch to the brand and they would be able to tell you pretty much everything about it because they've still got such a yeah, that's archive. true. Uh, so long jeans and the, the vintage side of stuff they do and, and especially their military stuff they're just like top notch they're just they, they've, they've got all the information there and they can really help uh, and they've also built on that military range in the past like few years of the new releases haven't they we saw a few at Basel World and stuff and when they were actually there in 2018 um, but yeah my, mine would probably be the long jeans so recommendation time uh, ben, what has been filling your spare time at the moment? Um, my spare time, not fair time, my spare time has <laughs> been filled actually doing more watch stuff. Um, so I had an old ST36 watch movement at home, which is the Chinese, uh, let's say, copy of the, the Unitas. Uh, can't remember the exact reference, but the the large Unitas movement that's based on a pocket watch movement. It's the the, the large three-hand movement. Uh, okay. I'll show you here, but I have been filing and uh, chamfering the bridges and stuff for a bit of fun and um, just to test out, yeah. basically, some some skills since uh, my grandfather on my mum's side was actually a clockmaker for some of his... Um, life and he's given me some old files and old tools that he used to have so i thought oh, I'd nice have a bit of fun with that and try some stuff out and then uh also experiment a bit with like movement bridges design and um just like the flow of of how we how, how we could make a movement look yeah just is, you know use, useful for other design stuff as well for when we do projects where we modify movements mm -hmm. which i obviously yeah. wouldn't do myself in fear of breaking it <laughs> a bit more of an experiment then yeah, we'll see if it works when I'm done. Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be good to see. It's quite interesting to see what you, how you can take quite a raw movement and. Yeah, it's, it, I thought it was a good one because I mean the, that Unitas movement is what most watchmakers learn uh, watchmaking with because it's mm. a it's a really large movement. Uh, it's simple because it's just a three hand movement as well. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot of just easy access. Mm. to be able to to do do what i want with it nice yeah that'd be cool to see how that uh how that develops uh so my recommendation it, a bit like ben i've kind of uh moved away from a tv or movie film or film whatever uh mine was an instagram account that i've recently followed so he's, he's a street photographer called billy d who's based in new york but his images are from all over the world really He's basically, he's a street photographer, but it, it's basically like next level street photography is the only way I can really explain it. They're really like unique captures that they've got so much like emotion and, he, and he's really good at capturing atmosphere just incredibly well. He has insane color grading on them as well, which basically means that 
every image just looks like it's from a movie. And it, I mean, just scrolling down his feed is just crazy. It, it literally looks like it's everything is just a screen capture from, I don't know, some blockbuster movie. Um, it's, uh, it's definitely worth checking out and it's definitely worth following. Uh, his account is Billy and then D, which is D and then three E's. Uh, I've just sent that around everyone. So now I assume Anthony and Ben, you're probably now having a look at his shots. I am sorry. Yeah, I'm sort of slightly distracted. Um, yeah. Wow. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's quite, that's amazing. That's amazing. Really incredible, yeah. It, the, color, the color grading. Oh, yeah, it's unbelievable. It, it's, it's really so, flawless. It makes it look like you're there and you can, like, feel the picture. Yeah. It's got a nice kind of vintage feel to it as well. Mm. Yeah, it's really... It's classic looking. Really. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah, he's a, he's a good account. He's He's got about 50,000 followers on Instagram. So I think for the photography world, that's probably not that many, considering how... Yeah, I mean, considering are. the page. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So yeah, that's kind of a, a recommendation that I've been obsession, obsessing with at the moment. That's so cool. Can you get them as prints or something as well? They're really beautiful photos. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm sure if you dropped him a message, you might, uh, might be able to sort you out with something. Love those. Love those. Well, um, it's funny, really, in comparison with uh, Ben and with Tim, I've been feeling very culturally inadequate, really, because I've neither been reassembling watches or admiring uh, deep art forms. Instead, what's taken up my time is um, a little bit of reading and a little bit of TV. But if you can't watch reading and TV during lockdown, when can you? Um, on the reading front, there's a new biography of Nicky Lauda, the... Um, former F1 champion that's just been released. Um, the significance of that is that it's been one year since he died. So, uh, um, so they've released a new book. It's been written by a man I know, which is why I read it. The man is Morris Hamilton. Morris has, um, oh, he's covered Formula One for certainly sort of for longer than I've been alive. Um, right. And uh, so he's obviously, you know, he was there when uh, Mickey Lauda was at the height of his career. Hmm. And it's a great book, you know, sort of, um, it's one of those books that surprised me because I know the story of Nicky Lauda pretty well, having followed Formula One quite closely. But there's lots in there which I didn't know. And there are lots of perspectives that are different on the things that I did know. So you know, very often you think, well, what's the point of reading a biography of someone who, you know, is really familiar to me because I know what's happened already. The answer is that if the book's done well, you'll often surprise yourself because I think what Morris has done is to sort of look for the things which are maybe slightly more esoteric or out of the public eye and the result's been a fantastic book. Um, on the TV front, as usual, I've kept up my record of being sort of about 100 years behind everyone else when it comes to the TV zeitgeist. And I've just watched um, Normal People, the thing that literally everyone seems to be talking oh, about. Oh, yeah, I've seen a lot of talk about that. And sort of like, um, it's quite, it's, it was okay. It's um, obviously the people in it are far from normal, but I guess that's the point. It's a sort <laughs> of bit of a joke title. It was quite fun. Um, it does remind me a little bit, I'm sure it would remind all of us of growing up and being at school. Um, but I don't think it's going to um, win any Oscars. Cutting review. That's a good recommendation. <laughs> the, the book. Biography that, yeah, the book. <laughs> I, I haven't seen anything about normal people, so I can't comment on that. But uh, it reminds me 
of one of the latest films that I'd watched, which obviously I'm massively late to as well, but it was Rush, which is yeah. also featuring a big part of, of like Nicky Lauder's career. I thought that was just an amazing movie, really well done. Yeah, it was great. That was um, a Ron Howard film, and Ron Howard, of course, did Apollo 13. So um, he, he's got this great knack, hasn't he, of sort of taking historical events and dramatizing them just enough to yeah. uh, to make it seem real. Um, I was actually at an awards evening once where Nicky Lauda himself was there and it was just after Rush first came out which was I think 2013 and um, it was Steve Ryder who was comparing the awards evening and they see, he asked Nicky have you seen the film and he said yeah did you like it Nicky said oh so so he said um, that guy who played me um, I don't think he was very committed to the role and uh, Steve said why? Why don't you think that Daniel Brawl, that was the actor, why don't you think mm. that Daniel Brawl was committed to the role? And Nicky said, well, if he'd been really committed, he would have chopped his ears off and burnt his face, but he didn't. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he's got a, the role. Come on. hard line in humour, Nicky Lauder. And, um, there's an, Quite there's, a statement. There is, there is. Well, I remember another thing that someone once asked Nicky Lauder, which was, you know, you've been through so much in your life. Is there anything that you're scared of anymore? And he said, well, there is one thing I'm scared of. Um, what happens if one day I have to wear glasses? <laughs> funny guy and a great book. Nice. Yeah, those are good recommendations. I think I'll have to check out a few of those. Okay, so as always, thank you, Ben and Anthony, for jumping on a call with me and briefly talking about The Dirty Dozen. Uh, obviously, vintage watches is quite a big topic, and we hinted at it last week. Obviously, we've spoken quite a bit about a specific topic this week, but there's, there's so much more to talk about. So I'm looking forward to chatting with you guys more about it in the future. Yeah, definitely. There's so much to talk about, so many different styles and eras that we can break it down into, so... I love Should vintage watches. Anytime you want to talk about vintage watches, I could go on for hours um, because I just think like, you know, there's just so much out there. And the other thing is to just in terms of, we touched upon it briefly, and I know I'm rambling again, but the value for money you get while buying vintage watches, I find astonishing. I really yeah. do. Yeah, massively. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we, we've got more content in the pipeline along those sort of lines. And I mean, there's also the reissue side of vintage watches, which is a, a whole nother conversation. So yeah, I look forward to chatting to you both then. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Time to Unwind podcast. If you enjoyed listening, we'd love to hear from you. So please leave your ratings of the show through your podcast app. And be sure to reach out on social media at WatchGecko with your thoughts. Adding a rating and a comment really does help the podcast. So we'd be grateful for your support. Thanks for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.